All right, let's see if I can, uh, I'm going to need some silence because I got discombobulated. So I'm going to ask you guys just for a few moments. Uh, I think it's very good even with kids. Don't worry about the kids or don't worry about uh, phones going off. It's an opportunity for you to ask God to help you be present to the presence so that you heard something in that beautiful story. I was listening to it and I went, oh man, I missed that. Or, I mean, that story is, pun intended, pregnant with all kinds of possibilities. I could go on for an hour and a half of do not be afraid. I could go on all kinds of things, like Jenny noticed the, the being struck by silence, uh, by not being able to speak after we've had some sort of vision experience. I've had that experience personally, and maybe you have, where you cannot say words. You only can enjoy the experience. So just for a few moments, I'm going to ask you to be quiet and think about something Jenny said or something that you heard in the midst of the of the beautiful reading, this beautiful backstory of Zechariah and John and his sort of blessing, that he, his prophecy of blessing that not only sets us up for our whole life, but also for this incarnation of God as a baby, right? All right, let's be quiet. Let us pray. Just notice your breath. It's the best way to come to your presence is by noticing your breathing in and out. All right, amen. Thank you, people. Now, if you'd like to join me, you can. I like to do this body prayer uh, as much as I can. I take my thumb and I put a cross on my forehead to remind me of my true, deeply planted, already homing device, my divine pulse that's been given to me and to everybody, 7.75 billion people in the world, my child of Godness. It also reminds us of our baptism. Oh, thank you, you guys. It's great to be here. I'm going to talk a little bit about alternative orthodoxy right now. And I'm going to just give you a little history lesson. Um, and I, don't, I hope you realize that when, when I say incarnation is salvation, what I'm talking about is that God, by coming into the world, by, ever since the beginning of time, we live in this Christ-soaked, God-soaked universe. This is why I dig being a Christian. I like uh, some of the Baha'i, Buddhist, there's all kinds of things we can learn from different traditions that remind us of this being. But what I I dig about being a Christian is it's incarnational, that's embodied, all right? We're not just this spirit floating around, we're this whole united spirit and matter. That's what makes a difference. That's what makes a difference for God. And that's what makes a difference for us. And so when this baby is born, it reminds us that everything that's happened before and after Christ's birth is God-soaked. Okay? I don't expect you to believe that. But what I do is I hope that you'll be open to experiencing that. 
this life, it's, I tell, um, especially, I, usually I've been dealing with high school kids for 35 years. Tom, uh, John's right, December 1st, 1984, excuse me, 1994, I was, uh, came to Oak Grove. So what's that been? Has that been, now it's not 24, it's 25 years, right? Holy cow, do you believe that? And I still love working with kids because they ask such really honest questions. And one of the things they ask about is this whole belief thing. And that's, can I be real honest with you, that's easy to believe because that doesn't take any effort or experience on our part. We can say, I believe in this and I believe in this. And that when my friend John has helped me out so much, he, he said this, I don't know if you remember, John, a long time ago you said that we make, as human beings, that's our job is to make idols out of everything. So we make idols out of belief, about money, about anything that is, we, we feel is good for us. We make an idol out of it, and then we lose track of the underlying gift that what God is doing is this, what, what he did for Zechariah is this unbelievable gift of grace and tender mercy. Did you hear that in there? That was just fabulous. Now, why we don't talk about incarnation as salvation is because way back, I forgot the years, it's not important, but there was this fight between, not fight, with this theological argument between the Dominicans and the Franciscans in the Catholic Church. 12th century, I think. Dominicans believed in the salvation through the cross. That's what they felt, and that's what the, most of the church believes, that without Jesus Christ, we don't find salvation, right? Oh, man, that's just as important, right? I mean, that is the reason why we are the way, why human beings can even come in the presence of God is because of Jesus Christ is done. Boom, there it is. But what we lost track of is this alternative orthodoxy told by the, thing, uh, by the Franciscans that said that incarnation, God coming into the world, brings that salvation, that healing, that freedom. Salvation is a big word. It's hard to explain. Can I tell you, you'll know it when you experience it again. And that's what I like about the Franciscans. And you know... Who started the manger deal? Anybody? I didn't know this until recently. I just thought it happened. In Italy someplace, what a, I got a Fontanini. Anybody else have a Fontanini at home? Look at the older folks are smiling, yeah. And what we pay for those things, I got it from Italy and it's like 100, 200 bucks. And every year I like putting it out, making sure. We have this fight in our family. Do you have your fight in your family about does baby Jesus stay in there the whole time or does he come in during Christmas, after Christmas? Anybody else? I'm the only one who hides baby Jesus, right? And then my kids end up finding it someplace and put it right back in the manger. Gosh, that's supposed to be funny, you guys. Come on. <laughs> you can smile. St. Francis did. St. Francis started the manger scene and the stable because he realized that God comes to us in the ordinary, the mundane, and yes, the smelly life that we live. Pardon? The smelly life that we live. The messy. And what have we done? 
Go on the internet, see all these beautiful manger scenes. We put lights and flashing light. We've done, once again, like all humans do, we make an idol out of something that was supposed to give us the gift of saying, God comes in incarnated, in fleshed, embodied ways in the midst of our real, mundane, normal life. That's what salvation means by incarnation. So we need both. And as Pastor John does in his GPS deal, he talks about the also. I love that glossary. That's something that's been very helpful for me. It gives a fresh way of explaining some of our churchy theological words in ways that are more, acce more accessible to not only me, but also to kids and families that I deal with. But the word also and and. So I'm not diminishing what the Dominicans did, but that's why you haven't heard too much about this alternative orthodoxy that St. Francis started back in the 12th, 13th, 14th century. Also a little, um, I want to give you a little, and then we'll get into the good stuff, but I want to give you a little bit of a uh, thing that I found it from Alexander, um, Alexander John Shia. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. But he has an interesting thing that he talks about how the natural seasons of our world, once again, hang with me now, people. I'll take this someplace I think that you'll enjoy. It might be good for you. It might be something that the Holy Spirit will work. John said it so well. This is not a one-way conversation. You will find something that Bryce will say, and that might trigger some other stuff in your, in your, and that's the Holy Spirit saying, that's Jesus talking to you today for something, or this might hit for what you're experiencing in this very present moment. Not everything. Most of the stuff that I preach about and then I speak, and no matter how cool and very talented I think it is, is, is chaff. It is. Because if unless it's Holy Spirit and unless you connect with it in a way that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, it sounds kind of airy-fairy, hang with me now, but this is the reality that you need to hear from the Spirit today. But he, what he talks about is the different seasons have a connection to a different gospel. I found this really creative, and it helped me and some of the people that I deal with understand there's a process to this life and there's a journey and that's what's important not a belief or an end or some sort of a end point or goal that is american northern Euro european north american sort of goal oriented capitalism consumerism cause and effect this whole spiritual life is both ends and that's what this church is about, that's what my church is about, that's what the spiritual life is about, is adding this new software or upgrading the software that we've been given since the beginning of time with this either-or mind. This is bad, this is good. And the Spirit and the loving God says, everything belongs. Everything that you experience in your life is part of this grace, this grist, this engine, this love, this material that is for this transformation that you're going through from the, your beginning of time where you were already planted with this indwelling spirit, this homing device, this divine pulse, this child of godness, and then we'll go to the end of time. Isn't that cool? Our life does not stop that process. 
It's not a beginning and an end. It's both. It's life and death. But uh, Alexander John Shia says this, and I really there's four major questions, and it's it's connected to the nature, and it's also connected to a major question that the gospel sort of looks at or helps us deal with. All right. Now you don't have to remember this. This you can find it online. And if you if you want some more help, Pastor John knows how to get a hold of me. Send me an email. I'll I'll shoot you the link. But this is another nice thing about these things, huh? Aren't these gifts? These I, I heard this the other day. It was just beautiful. Remember, it's both and. These are um, weapons of mass distraction. And we all well, I get kind of yeah, these are terrible. But geez, if I want to know something, I can look it up right now. How to pronounce anything? How to find anything? Any information? We have the information of the world at our fingertips, people, of everything. That even 50, 60 years ago, when I was growing up, we didn't have that. So it's a gift and also a weapon for mass distraction. I mean, I'm sorry. I'm one of those families. I've got two millennials at home. So there's times when we're sitting around watching TV or eating and everybody's on their phone, right? Have you seen that? You guys don't do that, do you? <laughs> or you might not have one of these weapons of mass distraction. That's what some of my older friends have done. I'm not going to get one of those. I'm not going to, you know, the crabby old guys. You run into crabby old guys like me once in a while? Thanks for laughing, Dave. I, you probably know a few. You know what? One of our interns told me, Bryce, if you want to stay current, if you want to continue your brain growing, if you want to be, you want to be present to your young people, get one of these because I was fighting it too. And it's been a gift, and it's also been a bane for my life. All right. Ze um, fall is Matthew. And the big question in the fall is what? Change. How do we face change? How do we deal with that? That's Matthew's gospel. Now, this is very short. So I don't expect you to remember it all, but once again, you can find this. Winter is Mark. How do we face suffering? I just think this is beautiful. Connecting this with the nature and the flow of the seasons and how the Gospels, each one of them, speak to that. Spring is how do we receive blessing and joy or happiness? That's John, that beautiful, mystical John. Another word would be new life or resurrection. And then finally, summer is the two-volume two work, Luke-Acts. And this I dig because that's what I'm going through right now as I'm an elder now, is that we have, summer is about maturity and wisdom. Fall, winter, spring, summer. Our nature goes through that. Our world goes through that. And guess what, people of God? Your soul goes through that. It's not, I believe in Jesus, 
and then my life is this. This is what mystics call a promise process. We are being pulled into this transformation. We don't go because most of us don't want to go through the winter or the darkness. All right. I'm sorry, John, you're right. I was going to try and keep this under 15 minutes, but I'm going to go a little bit later. But I'm, I, I think we're on to something good right now, and that is um, I'm going to talk a little bit. Well, let me just give you this. I thought this was something else that came out of the, reading that beautiful, long backstory of John the Baptist. Remember, John the Baptist is what? He's a pointer to Christ. That's the other, that's the other thing that early on in my career when I interviewed for my first call, I uh, you know, it was about may I decrease so Christ's increase. You know, that's what our job is as we mature, as we ripen. It becomes less about Bryce and more about Jesus Christ. And can I tell you, please, hear this in a positive way, that wasn't my decision. I'm always going to choose myself over somebody else. That's my sinful side. But God and God's great wisdom after years of living and learning and running away and experimenting, trial and error of suffering, going through this process of the nature, the winter, summer, spring, fall. Our lives change. What the mystics call our spirit is awakened that's already been planted in us. Um... I don't know about you guys, and I hope this doesn't trigger you, but I'll, I'll, I'm going to talk a little bit about um, alcoholics, addicts, um, because I'm really a 12-step guy. And the reason why I am is because my grandfather was an alcoholic and some of that stuff transferred into my family. I've always had a kinship with alcoholics and drug addicts because uh, of shame and all kinds of things that I grew up with. But can I tell you something? What has been just really beautiful is now I have a, a, a group of addicts that I see once in a while, and my whole view of them has changed, and it's been liberating for me. I don't try and change them. I don't try and fix them. I get a chance to be present and love them as they are. And boy, that's really hard when somebody's screwing up their life. You guys ever witnessed that? I hope you have. <coughs> Hang with me. I hope you have. Not that it's easy or less painful, but it is life-changing to love somebody in the midst of their journey and not fix them, change them, or abandon them, or chase them away. Huh? You guys know what I'm talking about. But if this incarnation is salvation, then me being present with John or Tom as they talk about their lives. I've, I've got different stages with people. Some are, are, not, are, some are recovering. Some have setbacks. I love this one guy I meet. His life, as he says it, my life is a hot mess. And it's so delightful to be with Tom now. Just amazing, because I don't have to fix it. I just love him. And I mean, it's a train wreck. He's been homeless. He drinks a fifth of vodka. He's a, he, what he calls now is a, um, is a functioning alcoholic. He's kept this job for six months, which is the longest he's had it in the six, seven years that I've known him. So that's all good. It's a very slow process. 
But being present with him and talking about this spiritual stuff has been amazing. Because I'm less judgmental. Maybe you would be too. How do you love somebody who they, for who they are? How do you be present in somebody's life? And then finally, uh, what also attracted me um, about this beautiful passage, first of all, let me thank you. What a gift it is. I, I love John so much. He's been a dear friend, and I don't want to get into this sort of mutual, you know, admiration. Gets kind of sick. You want to go, shut up, will you, guy? You know, but John, John and I have been through some stuff together with our kids and our families and our wives, and one of the cool things is if you have a brother or sister that you can authentically be with and talk about your stuff, that's all you need. That's Jesus Christ right in front of you. You don't need him to fix you. I always thought if I told somebody my problems, they'd give me the magic sort of words or phrases, and, and then I'd be happy. No, happiness and joy is received as you're leaning in and walking in the brokenness the messiness, the, mundane, the mundaneness of the life that you have. It doesn't mean that you don't have uh, sort of signposts or people along the way or a community of a church or community of friends or family. But this life is not for sissies. This life is hard. And you know what? Maybe that's the gift we can tell our millennials. You just say, you know, life's hard. And that's where God shows up in the midst of that. Life's hard. So what attracted me about this is that Zechariah, which means remember God, that's what his name means, is an old man. Some of you other people are here. Some of you people are here old like me. I appreciate that. Glad you're here. Thanks for smiling. I really appreciate that. Um... But that's been hard. That's been hard, especially when you work with high school kids. My God. I mean, I still walk over to the high school, Richfield High School. They dig me over there. I'm more spending more time connecting with faculty and supporting the principal, but they dig me over there. But kids are going, what's Grandpa doing here? Why is he walking around? You know, Who is that guy? Why is he here? You know? And I'm not going to lie to you. When you work with high school kids or college kids at my age, it's harder. But once you have that relationship developed, kids don't care what age you are. Oh, and working with first responders, oh, geez, that's brutal, you guys. Because most cops and firefighters uh, retire uh, early in their 50s or 55. And I'm 66, and I'm just hitting my stride. I mean, this is when being an old man, when you're mature and you're ripe and you have elder wisdom, elder ram, I call it that I'm going to be able to give back into this world more and more each day of my life. And, but, I'm not going to get any credit for it. In the world, church pastors is no different than any other, any other job, any other institution. After 50, good luck finding another job. Have you heard that, people? And maybe you've experienced that. Good luck finding something else. 
Our culture is youth-oriented. It wants young, you know, go-get-em, Jesus-looking guys with, especially in youth ministry, with decorative facial hair, ripped pants, drive the bus, and be able to care, uh, play the guitar. You know, I don't do any of that. Oh, and have long flowing hair, good flow. I got, I'm four, zero for four on all that stuff. So that's what meant so much to me, is that now, even though it's going to be hard, there's real issues I have physically now that I never had before in my life that I'm going to have to live into and trust and experience how God's going to use this sort of marginal, outside person. In the, in the middle of my career, I was white, wealthy. I had a big church out in Apple Valley. We're getting 150 kids going to... to uh, Youth events. I was getting called from all over the country. What are you doing, Bryce? How come you're this and this? All it had to do was that I happened to be in a growing church in a growing suburbs in the 1980s. Now I'm do better, doing much better emotionally, theologically, spiritually, and I got less and less kids in my church every year. Incarnation is salvation, and you and I are experiencing that this very moment. Thanks be to God.